Well, amen. I want to take the time to stop and thank you um, for all that you did uh, to help Easter be a wonderful event. And I, we always say here at the Canada Church, we're here to what? Reach the lost. And what? Teach the found and change the world. Reach the lost in there because we realize that our primary function is to reach those who are far from God and help them to find God, to find the least and the lost and bring them into a loving Savior who has loving arms that is willing to, to take them if they will repent and come to him. And last week we praised God that we had three souls come to Christ all the way throughout last weekend. And God did a mighty work. baptisms. We're going to be doing one during our service, and for those of you who'd like to stay, we're going to be doing another baptism at three uh, for one of our Hispanic churches as well as the Greenfield Church. Uh, so uh, next Sunday we'll baptize about 11 or 12 people uh, who have given their life to Christ. Um, I, I don't know what the water bill is like for the day paid the bills, but I sure do know we're using all the money, but I don't mind. I have to pay extra for that. I have to pay extra. I also want to thank you for your giving. Uh, we're working on something just to put out a little project sheet so you'll see what it costs to put on Easter. This doesn't happen without your giving and without your stewardship. And so we're thankful for all that you do. For those of you who can and will, uh, this Tuesday, uh, I'd love for you to be here for Pastor Pentecost. Pastor Pentecost served this church uh, for a decade, and he served it well. And he served in, I believe, over 17 churches doing ministry over a seven Span. He stood where I standing and pastored or assistant pastor for 71 years. And God has called him home. And so we want to be here and be a blessing uh, for Stacy. Stacy's out, uh, obviously, with, with her family and the Hobson family. And, and Shania and Zach, they're out uh, there with their family. They will have a, a service there in Mishawaka, but they're going to come here. And what I want us to do encounter is what we do best. I know we got quite a few people missing, but get the word out. We want to love on them, and we want to have food waiting for them when they finish. So even if you can't go, you can do what they said in the South. You can send them. So don't leave before you find a way to at least give. We're going to order some things, too. It doesn't have to be huge, but we want to show them that we love them and that we care for them. Those of you who can be here, I know you will. Uh, with that being said, you guys excited? So in conjunction, I feel like this will be a good time. We may not stay in it the whole time that the Bible study people are in it. But I figured this was a good way to get some good witness because you, if you've been in Bible study, the core group at least knows what I'm talking about. You've studied it, studied it but we're going to come from a preaching standpoint. And we're going to start in the book of Romans. I'm excited to be doing that. Uh, if you've never been in the faith, if you don't know much about the faith, where do you start? Sometimes I tell people to start in the book of John. Just learn about Jesus. Uh, learn about John because John talks about Jesus. Each gospel talks about him differently, but John talks about him as the Son of God. And that's pivotal and foundational for you to know. But then right after that, I say, if you can, if you got enough time, you need to crack open the book of Romans. So we're going to start in the book of Romans, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And we're going to read down through verse 7, and 
pray for me as I preach. We may not get all the way to verse 7. It is my desire, as Paul would say, to get to verse 7, but Paul is so deep into the Word of God, we may not get past verse 2, Brother Dave. We'll just see how it goes. We're going to go with that. Let's, let's read. It says what? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a lot. <laughs> through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, that's just the introduction. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, this is going to be great. Father, Father, speak your service and listen, and we'll give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Thank you. Guys, if you can give a hand for the music team and for Turn Around and all the other stuff that you do. A lot of the stuff and a lot of the improvements you've seen from the drums on the on, on the sit uh, back there to to soundboards that are sitting back there to even helping us with software and doing other stuff in production. He doesn't do he doesn't say a lot, but he does a lot. And I just want to let you know from the bottom of my heart that I'm grateful for it. sat where he sat a long time as a musician and many times people just assume that you're there just to touch the buttons and, and make a sound and, and you're good to go and oftentimes people will overlook us as musicians as people but it's important when people do good things for you to let you know how much you appreciate it and, and I'm, I'm grateful he's even upgraded my wardrobe a bit y'all my kids sound too young now they don't want to go out with me anymore but that's okay I love to embarrass my kids this is the perfect time of life amen so we're going into the book of uh, Romans uh, afterwards we're going to have a brief prayer for Mother Mabel as well we're so glad for her to be out she's out of the hospital and in yesterday. Uh, he was asleep most of the time that I got to see him, but I texted his son, uh, and he was he was doing well, and when the nurse came, he was alert. Uh, also be in prayer uh, for Chrissy, who over uh, underwent a surgery Friday, but she'll be going home soon. I spent a lot of time in hospitals this weekend, but I'm glad to do it. It's what I love to do, and also thank you for those who've been praying for Austin's co-worker who fell from a roof. Uh, that's the second time somebody's fell from a roof. We're going to find Austin something else to do because we need Austin. Uh, but at the same time, thank you. He's doing well and he thanks you. He said that he thanks you for your prayers. The prayers of the righteous avail as much. Now, the book of Romans, the book of Romans, a pivotal book. Some would even argue that it is one of the greatest books. It is a book that teaches us, if we do not know anything about the Christian faith, how to be a Christian. For Paul writes this book to a group of believers. Um, believe it or not, when Paul writes this book, Paul has never been to Rome. He has never been to the Roman church. But on the day of Pentecost, many people do not know how diverse the church was. And Calvary Church is not the first diverse church. 
But on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews in the place from all over the world. There were Jews from Africa. There were Jews from Asia. There were Jews from Persia. There were Jews from the Middle East. There were Jews from Europe. All the way around the world at this time. And all of them had seen the risen Savior. For the Bible says that there were 500 of them at least who had witnessed Christ being alive and rising from the dead. And so it was the perfect time in history. God does nothing by mistake. It was a time during history when the Romans was a, were a very powerful force and they had built roadways and aqueducts and travel was easy so it was easy during that time for the gospel to get out and the gospel is beginning to spread and Christians who have become Jewish Christians from the time of Acts, the book of Acts, they are now going on and building a church in Rome and Paul later says that not only do they have faith but this church who had never seen an apostle yet has great faith. Everybody says great faith. They're known throughout the world for their great faith. They're not a large church, and they are also a church that is very acquainted with persecution. For because of the, the, the things that are happening between the Jewish church and the, the Jews, there are there is contention among themselves. And some of the uh, historians say that the Roman Emperor Claudius actually expelled the Jews from Rome. He expelled the Jews from Rome for a season, and when they asked, they, he, he used a word, Christos, and many believe that means because of the Christians that were coming and turning the world on its head and how many people were beginning to come to Christ and Christians were being persecuted. And so as Paul has not had a chance yet to visit those people in Rome, we get a benefit of it because he uses an entire letter to give us what our Christian faith is. For the first half of Romans is what we call doxis or doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. We don't say that word a lot. Most people just like to believe what they believe, but it's important that you have good doctrine because right belief equals right behavior, and it's important that a solid, biblically-based church knows what good doctrine is, and not only do we know what it is, but we teach it to our children because good belief equals good behavior. So Paul goes through the gospel. He goes through the gospel presentation, and as we look, we'll see that that presentation is often quite different from what we find in Christianity today, which means that we might have strayed in the, uh, many times as a church a little bit away from the plumb line, amen? And so it's good to come back and see what the gospel meant to those people who were in the first century. Paul says that it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And after he gets through telling you what you believe, see that's the problem. Many times in church, we try to clean the fish before we catch this catch fish, but Paul takes them and he teaches them first. He knows that everything they do might not be together, but as Paul teaches them and he gives them a good belief, then he says, now that you know that in Romans chapter 12, he said, now that I've taught you what you should believe, now I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, now that you have good belief, I want you to have good behavior, and Paul is seeking to do three things in this letter. Three things Paul is seeking to do. Number one, he's preparing, asking Rome to prepare themselves for him coming to Rome because he's going to Rome. He wants to go to Rome, but he's going to go to Spain is his goal. Paul wants to go all the way throughout Europe preaching the gospel because the gospel has started in the Middle East. The gospel has started in that central area, and Paul wants to get that gospel 
gospel out. Number two, he wants to give good doctrine to believers so they can grow. How do I grow? It's not simply by coming and, and, and listening to a sermon, but to have good belief behind myself. And then number three, he wants to promote unity because there is a little tension between the new Christians and who are happen to be Jewish, many of them, and the Jewish, original Jew, Jewish people. There's a tension in between them. Paul knows because Paul spent his time trying to persecute Christians. So he is well aware of the tensions that exist between all of them, but what he's trying to let you know as well is that the gospel unifies people from all walks of life. Amen. Many people misuse this scripture and they abuse this scripture when they're ready to live any kind of way they want to. They say, well, it doesn't matter what I do because all of sin has come short of the glory of God. Have you ever heard people say that? That's not what Paul was saying at all. What Paul is saying is that the grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to all because all of us are sinners. <laughs> That's something that we don't like to hear, but we need to hear that God is the great unifier, that it doesn't matter how much your bank account is, it doesn't matter how big your house is, it doesn't matter what your title is on your job, it doesn't matter what shingles you have on the wall, it doesn't matter what certifications that you have and what equipment you can operate, be your vocation, white collar or blue collar or no collar, all of us have one thing in common, that the wages of sin is death. <laughs> that, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Paul goes through some major things, and I'm going to try to teach you. You know I'll get excited in a minute, but I'm, trying, I'm, going, to, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try, to try to be good and do some teaching, but if I get excited, it's just it. It, it does what it does. But at the same time, he's going to talk about some major things, some things we tend to avoid in our modern-day church. Why do we tend to avoid them? That's why I like expositional type preaching, where sometimes it's good to preach Bible series and things, and I do that too. But sometimes it's good just to open up the book, find the Bible, and go page by page, letter by letter, line by line. Why? Because sometimes we might tend to skip some things that we don't like, but this way we can't skip anything. It's all in there, even the uncomfortable stuff. Everybody say, get ready for the uncomfortable stuff. <laughs> he's going to talk about sin, and he's going to talk about salvation. He's going to talk about sanctification and sovereignty and service. He's talking about the gospel and he's going to give it to mankind. The gospel is spreading very rapidly and Paul wants to know, let them know, number one, what the gospel is and number two, what the gospel can do. There is a difference because there are two types of gospel that are preached today. Everybody say do, do. and don't. Yeah. See that most of us are, 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 are acquainted with the, with the do gospel, which is really not the gospel at all. It means that I have to do something to be saved. <laughs> I've got to do and act and look this type of way to be saved. That's, I, it depends on something that I have to do. Many times, if you ask people, are oh, they a Christian, they will respond to you like this. Yes, because I came up the aisle. I gave the preacher my hand. I went in the water. I got baptized, and I believe in Jesus Christ. And everything they're saying has to do with something that they have what? Done. But see, that's the do gospel. And, and they like that, and many people like the do gospel because it makes us feel comfortable about ourselves that we can do something to earn my salva our salvation. But the truth of the matter is we don't have a do gospel. We have a done gospel. The gospel has been done for 2,000 plus years when Jesus cracked the, the sky with the words of Tedalestai, which means that it is finished. 
<laughs> it is finished, which means that there's nothing you can do to gain the favor of God. There's nothing that you can do to gain salvation. Salvation is a work that was done on the cross of Jesus Christ, and all you have to do is believe it and receive it. And you shall, the Bible says it this way, for they that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sometimes we don't like that. Why? Because that means that we can't do a comparative analysis to ourselves, to other people, and make ourselves feel bigger than we are. But that's the whole point. God doesn't want us to feel bigger than we are. The whole point of the law and the gospel is to get pride out of our heart. The Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. Why? Because he doesn't want them to come down under the condemnation of the devil. Brother Dave, what is the condemnation of the devil? The condemnation of the devil is pride. The Bible says that he said, I will set my throne above that of the Almighty. And when we give pride in our hearts, pride is a declaration that I do not need God. I can act independently of what God told me to do. I can do it on my own, and I can do it my way. I put it to you this way because this most accurately describes how we live today. In the beginning, the Bible says that God made man in his image, but unfortunately now, man tries to make God in his. We try to make a God that makes us comfortable with our life. We try to make a God that makes us comfortable with our sin. We like to try to make a God that makes us comfortable with our points of view. But Paul is not doing that. And as you look through and Paul opens up his letter, he does three things. You know, three things. Verse 1, Brother Dave, took me hours to go through. Even Peter himself said, Paul is hard to understand because Paul is so deep. There's so many things that are encoded in the things that Paul says. And just in his introduction, I'm going to start at Romans 1 and 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I'll stop right there. Because if we look at that, we would just normally, in our normal language, look over what Paul is really saying. But that word servant in the Greek is different from how we look at servant. It's a word that's translated bond servant, or better yet, slave. Amen. It's translated slave. Well, it's not the type of slavery that we're used to, but if you go back, and I'll give you homework, to go back to Exodus chapter 21 and Deuteronomy chapter 15, you will see that there was slavery thousands of years ago and that there was instructions given to the Jews. Sometimes people couldn't pay their debts, and so they were put into devil's prison. There'd be nobody left in America if they did that right now. Everybody would be in jail. But at the same time, they had to work off of their debts. And when they got ready to work off their debts, they would live with their master, and they would serve their master, and they would buy their freedom. And I'm not going to go into it for a second time, but there were even rules about if you marry and you married a slave woman and you were free, who gets to go? But the Bible says that at some point in time, when it was after seven years, the slave had to be set free. But the slave, if he looked at his life and said, well, since I've been here with my master, he's fed me, he's protected me, he's taken care of me, I've got a wife and a children and I can't take them with me, there's some benefits there. We are able to see that, uh, that, that the, the slave would say, I really don't want to leave. So they made a provision for him where he would go down to the city gate, put his ear on the doorpost, and they would take an awl and they would pierce his ear. And that piercing would say, I am 
and now I look, could be free. I could go on my own, but the benefits of being under my master are too great to leave for me. So I'm giving up my rights. I'm giving up my freedom because I realize it's better underneath his protection. It's better underneath his way, and I'm going to be a willing slave. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to go when he tells me to go because when I do that, I know I'm under his protection. I don't have to worry about security because my master has security. I don't have to worry about food because my master has food. I don't have to worry about shelter because my master has shelter. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see in Matthew 6 and 33 where he said, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink because even the lilies of the field were still more beautiful than Solomon's clothing ever was. He said, all you have to do is seek first my kingdom and I'll worry about what you eat. I'll worry about what you drink. I'll worry about what you wear. All these other things will add them to you. I don't know about you, but that's a fair trade. I'm willing to trade my weakness. I'm willing to trade my sickness. I'm willing to trade my sin. I'm willing to trade my sadness to be a slave to the Lord King. That's good teaching. <laughs> that seems like that seems like a fair trade to me. Does that seem like a fair trade to anybody else that you might not be able to do all the things you want to do and go all the places that you want to go? But guess what? Although you may never be able to buy an Egyptian tweed set of sheets that are too expensive, when you lay your head on your pillow, he gives you a piece that you can lay on a rock and sleep. How do you know? Because I know Daniel laid his head on the breast of a lion, and God let him sleep like a baby. I've come to tell you that there are some things when you give up your rights, when you give up ownership of your life, when you give up ownership of your right to do what you want to do and come up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there are some benefits to it. I've come to tell you that I'm not a free man. I'm a proud slave of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Paul, Paul separates the three. He tells them that he is a servant and he's called to be an apostle and he's set apart from the gospel of God. He uses three things. Why? Because servant talks about his identity. Apostle talks about his vocation and set apart talks about his purpose. And we see right off that it is a, he's able to discern the difference between the three. Because many times we mistake our purpose for our vocation of who we are. Oftentimes we do so in an unhealthy way. But Paul starts out by announcing his identity. If I ask you who you are, if I ask Brother Bob who he is, he might say I'm a carpenter. But a carpenter is not who you are. A carpenter is what you do. I might ask, I might ask you, Austin, what you do, and he might say that I'm a roofer, but a roofer is not what you are. A roofer is what you do. There is a difference between your identity and the things that you do, but many times we don't know the difference and difference between them. And you see, he's made a willing acknowledgement to say that my identity is not a Pharisee. My identity is not a pastor. My identity is not preaching the gospel. My identity is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because if your identity is in anything else, when that thing goes away, you lose your identity. How do I know this? Because I'm a certified retirement counselor, and I see people who put their life into what they do, and then when they retire, they seem lost. Why are they lost? Because they mistook what they 
they did for who they were. And now that they can no longer do what they did, they don't know who they are. But here's the thing. If you place your identity on something that is a sure foundation, it doesn't matter what job goes away. It doesn't matter what houses or cars or anything goes away. You know that your identity is in Christ Jesus. I put it this way because I'm a musician. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' crow blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock. I stand. All other ground is seeking saints. Amen. I'm not worried about what Russia does. I'm not worried about what China does. I'm not even worried about what America does because my identity is not caught up in where I live. My identity is caught up in where I'm going to live again. That I'm a servant of the Most High, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul, a bond servant. He said, before I let you know anything else about me, I need you to know this, that I'm a servant to Christ. And anything you talk to me is going to have to go through him. I don't do it on my own volition. I do it because of what he tells me to do it. James says it this way. He says that many times we do things in an arrogant way. Brother Dave, we say, I'll see you tomorrow, and I'm going to do this or that. And he says, but that's arrogance. He said, if you were going to do it, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. Why? Because you are saying, I'm putting my will and my plans behind the plans of Almighty God. My agenda is not first, but his agenda is first. Before I get ready to pray, I'm going to sit down and ask him what he wants me to pray. Even when I give him the service, before I give, I'm going to ask him what he wants me to give. Even before I make a move on my job, I might not like my job, but he might have me there for a greater purpose. So before I get on Indeed.com and start looking for jobs, I'm going to get on my knees and ask God, what do you want from me? Because my life is yours. Amen. We will be much less stress-free if we realize that our life was not ours when we gave it to Jesus. Yeah. There's a story of a theologian. I won't call the name because I can't remember one, but which one. But they called him. It was in the 1700s, 1800s, and they, they came to him, and he had just finished doing some preaching, and they said, I need to tell you <laughs> that your house is on fire. And he never moved. They said, did you not hear us? We told you that your house was on fire. <laughs> he never moved. They said, excuse me, sir, but your house is on fire. He said, I don't have a house. Everything I have belongs to God. <laughs> and guess what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We would have a lot less manic depression around in the world if you realize you don't have a car. You don't have a house. You don't have a 401k. You don't have a brokerage account. You don't have an IRA. You don't have a CD. You don't have a life. Your life is hidden with Christ and God when you give Jesus your hand.
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or, nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is where we want to lay our hat for a second, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. And it will be also, what he's saying is, I put it to you in a modern version, he's saying wherever you have placed your trust is where you are worshiping. Amen. Some of us don't realize it, but we all worship. <laughs> we all worship something. That's why when Jesus gives us this word, he tells us down in verse 24, he begins to tell us that we're worshiping whether we know it or not. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's telling us not to waste our life. The question is simply who or what you have placed your trust in. We've all, we're worshiping something whether we know it or not. The question is who or what it is. What do you always run to as a solution for your life's problem? In short, before which altar do you kneel? That's a powerful question in our life. We say, well, pastor, I, I kneel before God's altar. Really? Because is it in God we trust? Or is it in government we trust? Or is it in my own intellect and reason I trust? Or is it in my social status and my influence? Or my likes and retweets I trust? Is it in my economic status I trust? And if we be honest, all of these are, besides the first, are faulty and unable to sustain us. It's not hard to find out who or what we trust because we tend to tie our identity to it. You will hear it. What do you mean? You know what you're trusting in because you identify yourself in. Paul says that I am a slave to Christ Jesus because he was identified and put his trust in Christ Jesus. But we do it this way. Everybody say, I'm a. I'm a. See, Paul said, I'm A. <laughs> oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Somebody's going to hate me when I finish this, but I'm, I'm going to show you some of the altars that we kneel at. <laughs> because when you begin to say, I'm A, what you're saying is, this is what I put my trust in. Mm. Words like, I'm an agnostic. I'm an atheist. I'm spiritual. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a capitalist. I know it's going to be quiet. That's okay. I'm going to keep going. I'm a socialist. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm a social justice warrior. But here's the thing. If I hadn't got yours, put your own I'm in there. Because we all have an I'm. And wherever that I'm is, it points to your office. It controls your behavior. It determines which TV stations you watch. Mm -hmm. Which news segments you turn on. Which friends you hang out with. Because you wrapped your identity in the wrong thing. 
Can't say it Thank you, Liz. Who will we say to which I am a slave? Am I worshiping at the altar of an alternative belief system? I just don't believe. Does somebody say, I identify myself by that belief and do so proudly? I will fight to the death to defend it. If you don't believe me, get in front of somebody and talk about their favorite political candidate and watch what happens. <laughs> because that one is their altar. And it's where they worship. Talk about certain ideologies. I knew it was going to get quiet, but that's okay. I didn't pick this. It was written 2,000 years before I got here. We find altars and we are divided in the body of Christ. Why? Because we have a bunch of schizophrenic Christians. We are not Christians. We are Christians plus. We always take what's out on the outside and bring it in to make it an identity. Being a Republican or a Democrat doesn't make you more Christian, either one or the other. A liberal or conservative doesn't make you more of a Christian. Stop telling that lie to people. What makes you a Christian is your faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's why churches are hating each other and fighting each other is because they have went into their corners and made their own identities instead of putting their identity into Christ. That's why we have a church where I can continue to preach and there are black people in here and white people and Filipino people and Iraqi people and Tanzanian African people and people from all and Jamaican people and people from everywhere else and we got white and black and hillbilly and country. We got everybody in here. Why? Because our identity is not in where we came from. It's in where we're going that we're all unified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is this helping us today? Amen. Yes. And we know when we worship it, because certain things you don't have to ask for when you worship something. See, Brother Dave gets frustrated with me because I don't want to talk about giving even though we need more people to give. Why? Because I know wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Amen. And you give to whatever you worship. You might put a thousand dollars in something else and two some uh, two two dollars or something. It does no good for us to get your money if we don't have your heart. Jesus doesn't have your heart. If Jesus gets your heart, we don't have to ask you for anything because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Amen. That's why we don't have an offering. That's why the box back there. And if you want to give, you give with your own free will. Why? We don't curse and we don't compose because this is what you do. You have to ask yourself this question. What am I a slave to? Am I worshiping at the altar of an alternative belief system and really think what I'm worshiping is Christianity and it's really not Christianity? Am I identifying myself by that belief and doing so proudly? Will I fight to the death to defend it? Don't you talk about my candidate. Don't you talk about my friend. Will I give my resources to it because I believe in it and I will give it my time. I will spend time not in my word so I can see what's on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News because I got to spend time worshiping at the altar of my masters and listening to their priests tell me what I really believe. If you care, oh, that's okay. I'm coming. You might not come back, but you're going to hear it today. Why? Because it's time for us to get off the altars of the TV and get on the altars of the church of Jesus Christ. It's time 
back to God. Brother Dave, I'm still on verse 1. We're in trouble. <laughs> we'll go back to next week. Y'all tired of me yet? Hallelujah. See, Paul notices that, noticing identity is tied to Christ. We even believers today seek our identity not in who we are in relation to Christ, but who we are into the perception of everybody else. Who we are to everybody else. How we buy houses and cars. Why? Not because we want those houses and cars. We buy them so we can oppress other people. We wear certain clothes so we can oppress certain people. We have certain fashion trends we adhere to. Why? Because it's socially acceptable and we want to oppress other people. It's acceptable headway. We use certain words and colloquialisms. Why? Because it's cultural of the day. We use and seek status and influence to prove ourselves and to prove to ourselves that people approve of us. Many people go to churches, not because the gospel is being preached, but there are people there that look like me, and they dress like me, and their culture is like me, and I feel comfortable because I'm among people who make me feel comfortable instead of doing this, going to a church that is dedicated to comforting the conflicted and conflicting the comfortable. Going to a place that's going to help me and tell me what I need so I can get to heaven and not just feel good about going to... Amen. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. In many cases, our identity is wrapped up in the approval of others. We are slaves to their social norms. But when we become true believers and followers of Christ, we become his slaves. We become his doulos. That's the word Paul uses. A bond servant, a willing slave. A slave that had the option to walk away, but determined that he was going to give his life to his master. And number two, not only am I a bond servant, but I am set apart. Everybody set apart. Set, set apart. He says, I'm set apart. I'm separated. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. You see how deep Paul, Paul is? We haven't even gotten past the first couple of comments. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and called to be an apostle. That's his vocation. That's what he's called to do. He's set apart and separated for the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's commissioned by another. That word apostle in the Greek is apostolos. It means somebody that is commissioned or summoned by another. In other words, he didn't go of his own accord. He's going because he was sent. You know why there are so many people that quit ministry? Brother Dave, I figured that out because my old pastor used to tell me, my spiritual father, Dr. Charles Miller, he said there's three things you need to know before you start pastoring. Number one, you need to know that, number one, that you're saved. That's a, that's a plus. You need to be saved. Number two, you need to know that you're sent. And number three, before you ever start pastoring, you got to know that God called you. Why? Because you're going to have to say some stuff that people don't like. And you can't pass the people that you're afraid of. And you got to know that God called you. And if they walk out on you, God will send somebody else because the sheep knows his voice because it's God who sent you. And many people are walking out of the door when times get hard, not diminishing their struggles or their pain, but simply because they didn't ask those three questions. And many of them, uh, this is how they used to put it down south. They said, some are sent and some just went, brother Ernie. Some just went. They said that you look like a preacher. They said you act like a preacher. They said you know a few scriptures and you started thinking about that. You put a Bible under your arm and started preaching. But what they did tell you that those that look godly must serve for persecution and that you have to be instant in season and out of season which means not only do you have to preach when people want to shake your hand on the way out the door, but you have to preach sermons that people are going to look the other way and not want to touch you when they walk out the door because you're not called to be popular. You're called to tell the other country to 
says, I'm sent. I'm commissioned by another. God has sent me. He summoned me to share the gospel. I'm asking you a question. Where is God sending you this morning? Because we all have an, we all have a pulpit, Sister Barbara. It might not be this stage. Some people call it a rooftop. That's your pulpit. Some people call it putting in doors. Some people call it shoveling snow. Some people call it taking boxes for shredding. Some people call it I'm retired, but I go and talk to everybody I can at the grocery store for some company. That's your pulpit. Wherever your pulpit is, I ask you a question. Where is God sending you? What are you called to do? What difference are you decided to make? Because God doesn't call what we call pew warmers or bench members. God calls people to activate them for service, and I know you live in a modern culture where they tell you you can get to 65 and hang it up, but I'm sorry to tell you that God doesn't give you a retirement plan. There is no pension plan on this side. He simply said, be not faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. You might get a pension on your job, and you can stop working for GM, and you can stop working for Chrysler, and you can stop working, working for Ford, but you can't stop working for God. Amen. Amen. Pastor Pentecost blessed my heart so much a few weeks ago when I talked to him because he said, you know what I like about the hospital? And I stopped and I looked at the phone and I said, nobody likes anything about the hospital. Because he was in hospice and he was preparing to leave. And the first thing he told me is, I'm almost home, Brother Barry. But he said this, he said, I like it because the last three times I went to the hospital, I've led one of the nurses to Jesus Christ. He was saying that I'm never going to retire. I may not be standing in the pulpit, but I'm on my way out the door still trying to take people to heaven with me. That I'm going to fight until the end so I can hear Simon, well done. Oh, God, may we have that mentality that we are, we are ever and fighting for you, that when we can't stand on the street corners and begin to give the gospel, we say, Lord, I still can get down on my knees and pray. And even if I can't get on my knees and pray, I can sit on the front pews and I can pray while somebody else does the work and I can fight in the spirit while they fight in that flesh because my flesh is a little weak, but my spirit is still strong and I still know how to pray in the spirit, God. And I'm going to do what I can until you call me home. He acknowledges his purposes to be set aside for the purpose of God. That purpose is to carry the gospel. His life and upbringing as a Jew and a Roman citizen made him the perfect candidate to make the gospel to both the Jew and the Gentile. He didn't happen to do that by accident. God knew. He, this is what I need to tell you, because oftentimes we don't get this. We often get mad about not growing up on the right side of the tracks and not having a, a silver spoon in our mouth and not having a rich parents to this. Don't you know that God knew what he wanted you to do before he ever made you, and you were born to exactly who he wanted you to be born to and exactly the way that he wanted you to be born? He ordained it, even if it was through a painful circumstance. He allowed it to be. Why? Because the things that you are going to go through in your life are preparing you to do his his will and to do his work. You've been mad about the things that happened to you in your life, but what God is telling you is, I was allowing those things to mold you, and I was allowing those things to shape you, that so when I finally got your heart, you will be prepared. Paul, you thought you were learning, you were learning the 
Torah so you can teach the Jews, but you will learn the law so you can understand the law, so you can tell people how grace will overcome the law, and that, that, that grace will say, you thought that you were doing one thing for another, but I had you born as a Roman citizen. Why? Because the apostles that I called on the other side, they're not able like you are when they're beaten and torn down to look at somebody and say, you beat me, I'm a Roman citizen, and you didn't even give me a try. I knew what I was doing for you. I've come to tell you that how you came up, you were born in the right family for the right reason. You have the right upbringing. Your family might not love God. Your family might not know God. Why was I born into an unbelieving family and my family doesn't believe? So you can give them the gospel and they can start to believe where you are is not a mistake. A sovereign God. We're going to get into the sovereignty of God a little later on. I'm going to give it to you just how I wrote it down because I want you to hear this. A sovereign God used the soil of a broken world to nurture and grow you into what you need to be. I'm going to say that again because somebody didn't catch that. A sovereign God used the soil of a broken world, an imperfect world filled with sin and sickness and sadness. He did that to nurture you and grow you into what you need to be. He knew every move beforehand, and he's worked it out in his plan. Yes, God has a plan for your life, but I warn you, when you start asking him about it, it may be different than the plan that you have for your own. Uh-huh. My plan is had me in Mississippi in a nice big house. <laughs> but it didn't have the peace and the joy that I had. Many times, his plan is vastly different from our own. And the only way we submit him to him is to go back to verse 1, the first part, and say, I don't do what I want to do. I'm a what? Slave. As we get ready to close, I want to give you this. The verse, verse 1 through 2, he says this. He promised beforehand. This is important. Because this speaks to God's sovereign plan. We see in Genesis 3.15, Bible study students, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and her seed and your seed. And you will strike his heel and he will bruise your head. God is showing, he's saying that he had promised this beforehand. He's used numerous pro- prophecies and foretellings to the point of his arrival, death, burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, to let you know that it is not a mistake. He is the Lord of all and he is the Messiah. And those who struggle with faith often have problems with a good God in a world of sickness and pain and death, death by our own doing, death by our own doing, not by his, for the wages of sin is death. But we serve a God who even in the midst of a world thrown into chaos because of man's disobedience has never lost control of his plan to redeem man to himself. It might look like it's out of control, but he's got it. He's got it all in the palm of his hand. God's plan is that of redemption and salvation among the broken pieces of creation. People say, God's so good, why does a good God allow all this sickness and pain and suffering? Because he allowed us to choose. We chose we chose sickness, sorrow, sin, pain, and suffering. The ways of sin is death. Obedience from God and to be separated from God is death. We chose this. Mm-hmm. But I'm so thankful that he chose us. Yeah. Amen. 
He's here to help you pick up broken pieces. What pieces are broken in your life? Where do you fit in this broken creation? God in his sovereignty knows that you are not a mistake. People might tell you a mistake, but you are not a mistake. You being here is not a mistake. He knew you'd be sitting in the seat you'd be sitting in. He knows the very hairs on your head. He knows what's going on that's stirring in your heart right now. He knows that I'm going to say the day that you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Why? Because he knows that right at this moment, everything in your life, you've been culminating to get to this To hear this word, to take the next step. Amen. What's your next step? What's your identity? Will you be a slave to Christ or will you be a slave to your job? Yes. Will you be a slave to the approval of other people? Or will you be a slave to God? Will you be a slave to all your own wants and desires? Or will you be a slave to God? Will you be a slave to your own insecurities and your own hang-ups and your own sins? Or will you today choose to be a slave to Jesus? I'm talking to people who are already saved. You know why? Because sometimes we get saved, but we sometimes take the seat that's designated for God and put other things in it. Amen. And he says, I'm a jealous guy. I won't share my throne with anybody else. If that's you today, or you need prayer, my prayer for you today is to fill these offices. Our prayer team will come, and this brother Dave gets ready to come. Thank you. 